You are listening to a podcast from Classic City Church. We're glad you've joined us. Our services are held at 10.30 a.m. on Sunday mornings at 595 Prince Avenue in the Piedmont Sanctuary. For more information, please visit www.classiccity.org. This is a sermon from Pastor Lee Mason. Good morning. It is great to see everybody here, and uh, I'm really looking forward to, to this morning and what we're going to be doing uh, really in this, this series we're going to start today. Um, one thing I do want to mention to you before we uh, get into the message, uh, Lisa had said earlier during the announcements that um, Wednesdays are last day of what we call our 21 days of fasting and prayer, and that's just a time where, as a church, for the first 21 days, we take time to, when we say fast, we just we really want to make some sort of dedication that's different and exceptional in our spiritual life for 21 days. It may be to read the Bible a certain amount of time, to pray a certain amount of time. It might be to, to literally fast, maybe to not eat some things or to do without some things in your life. But the idea of that is to focus extra time on your relationship with God, enhancing that. And as a church, we want to do that. And we, we come together on Wednesdays and really pray for our city. And we pray for our church body and just pray for God's will uh, to be accomplished in our church for the year. And we've, this year is a little bit different the way it laid out. We actually, usually we started after our anniversary service, which is when everybody's here. This year, we actually started it before that. And when everybody was here, our anniversary service, I think I was just so excited I forgot to even mention the prayer meeting. And then uh, the next week was, of course, MLK. But we, we would, I would, so we've had kind of a, a different start than normal for it. And we're ending this week. I would just want to set all that and say this. I'd like to encourage everybody who can to come join us on Wednesday at the Ministry Center. It's three blocks from here on Millage Avenue. Join us from 6 to 7. We want to have a great time of concentrated worship and prayer as a church body. Pray for our city. Pray for ourselves. And pray for really what God wants to do with us as a, as a community in 2019. So let me encourage you to please take that one hour this week from 6 to 7 to come and, and join us and be a part. Well, again, it's great to be with you. If you have a Bible, turn to Galatians chapter 1, the book of Galatians chapter 1. And um, we're going to be doing a, a um, for the next nine weeks, we're going to be going through this book in the Bible, book of Galatians. And it's a really uh, interesting book in the Bible. It was uh, written in 48 AD. It was probably the first letter Paul wrote. It was just 15 years after Jesus had been resurrected from the dead. And he's writing to a group of people that's, that he visited. And if you read Acts chapter 13 to about the middle of chapter 14, you can Read about his time visiting and ministering in this region of, of Southeast Asia Minor and some of the things that happened there. And so he, he went in there and Paul went and preached to these people. And uh, they were pagans. They were superstitious. Uh, if you know anything about paganism, uh, which is what every other religion in the world was at that time except Judaism. It was the only monotheistic uh, religion. The all, all others were pagan. And the basic religious mindset behind paganism was superstition. You had to do acts. You had to do certain things and your certain actions made you favorable to God or they sort of manipulated or moved God to, to act in your behalf. 
And that was the template of, of religion for them. So Paul came in and preached the gospel, and they saw a new template. They got saved. They, they understood Jesus to be the Messiah that the world was waiting for. And they accepted him as their Savior and their Lord. And they began to live for him, and they were saved by grace. And then Paul left. But then behind him came a group of people, and the, they are called, uh, this group of people are categorized by the, by the word, they call them Judaizers. And they were basically people who were Christians, who were Jewish, from a Jewish background. And they were concerned that these new converts in, in wherever they were in the world needed to start adopting Jewish practices in order to continue to be in a favorable relationship with their God. And again, it's, it's really different. For Jewish people that converted to Christianity, they didn't change gods. They didn't change much of anything. They just understood that what their God had promised had been fulfilled in Jesus. But for pagans, it was a whole different thing. They're like, you know, we have a new religion. What do we do with it? And so these guys came in, and what they began to do was teach them that they needed to do, particularly pay attention to Jewish practices in order to continue to be a part of God's community. And the one they were particularly concerned about was circumcision. They were passionate to make sure that every one of these converts that were male experienced circumcision. And so a big part of Paul's argument is about that particular issue. Now, I've been in the ministry 35 years this year. And I have worked with a lot of young Christians, a lot of people who just became Christians, um, and it, which is really exciting. And in all my years of working with probably hundreds and thousands of them, I've never had any of them go, man, now that I'm a Christian, I think I need to get circumcised. And, and I'm real relieved I've never had that happen, to, to be honest with you. And so you could ask, like, why is this book of Galatians, why is it important? I mean, why is it in the canon? Why did why did the Holy Spirit inspire this letter to be one that was kept and preserved and that's read um, throughout? Why was it such a crucial book during the time of the Reformation? Why is this book important for me today? That's not an issue that's in my life. It's not a struggle I'm having. And I think it's here because of something very important that you and I really understand as human beings and as Christians and as people that want to do God's will and really want to serve Him faithfully and genuinely. See, grace is very awkward for us. Grace is awkward for human beings. Grace is like writing with your left hand, if you're right-handed. <laughs> writing with your offhand. When I used to play basketball, we would... You know, I, I could we'd go and shoot layups, and I could do it. With my, I remember trying to do it with my left hand, and it was just so much more difficult. You just—it's awkward to to use your. And grace is not natural uh, to human beings. It's not it, the, the doctrine, the gospel of grace. We'll find out is not anything a human being would have ever thought of. And so he's talking about these things. And if we read in the Old Testament, one of the things the Bible teaches us, and it's all throughout the Old Testament, when he saw the struggles of the Israelites under the Jewish law. God promised something to them and he did it all throughout that with the coming of this being, this person, this individual called the Messiah, 
God promised to bring about something called a new covenant. There was an old covenant that was under the Mosaic law, and it was the law, and it was all these uh, rules they followed, and it was all these procedures they went through, and all these prohibitations that could, if you read the uh, Exodus through uh, the book of uh, Deuteronomy, you'll see there's just a lot of things there uh, that are kind of even strange for us to read today. And he said, well, I'm going to bring about a new covenant. And this new covenant will be radically different. You know, Lisa read a passage from the Old Testament from Jeremiah during our inspiration where he talks about this new covenant. He says things like, I will wipe away your sins, your lawless deeds, I will literally not remember. Like, like, could you imagine God wiping away a human being's sins, your sins, my sins, so thoroughly, so completely that God would have no memory of them? Be like they never existed? And then he said things like, I'm going to have my spirit live inside you. And he'll enable you to live a different life. There's all kind of promises. One of the things it talks about is that in, in this new covenant, it's going to be way more inclusive. It'll be way more inclusive. When Peter preached his first sermon on the day of Pentecost, he said something that would have, like what? He said, you know, when the Spirit's poured out, your old men are going to dream dreams, your young men are going to see visions. And he said, your sons and your daughters are going to prophesy. Uh, okay, women are going to be filled with the Spirit. Women are going to be used by God in ministry. That was a radical new thing. And the new covenant also promised something that is extraordinary. We can see it today. That one day the Gentiles that are serving and following the Jewish God Yahweh, the one true God, are going to be more numerous than the Jews that are following him. That would have been outrageous to think of in the days of the Old Testament. In fact, when the prophet Isaiah talked about it, he goes, look, you won't believe this. If you knew what was going to happen in this age, you would be shocked. You would say it can't be true. But there are going to be more Gentiles. The number of the Gentiles is going to be greater than the number of the Israelites that are going to follow our God. And we see that true today. That's not even arguable. And so the new covenant is in effect. And the new covenant for all of us, for these guys back then, and for even for us today, it can be the same way. It can be like what we call a paradigm shift. Everybody know what a paradigm shift is? A paradigm shift is what happens when something innovative or something radically new is introduced into a sphere and it changes the whole sphere. You know, when I was uh, going to college, it was pre-computer. We were all on the typewriter. And I remember a senior paper, my econ class, in, in Terry College of Business in the econ department, I had to write a senior paper, and I wrote it, and it had to be 20 pages long. And I worked real hard, and I wrote it, we wrote it on a piece of paper, and wrote it, and wrote it, and wrote it, and it's, it had to be typed, and I gave it to a typist, and she typed it up, and it was all finished. It was 18 and something pages. It wasn't 20 pages long. And I wrote a great paper. But I got a B. Or B plus, I can't remember. But I didn't get an A because it wasn't long enough. And I was like, the heck, I'm going to type another page and a half somewhere in that, try to fit in and make it longer. You know, you, you just couldn't do it. it. It was just, that's what it was. Flipped to when I got my master's degree 
from uh, Reformed Theological Seminary in Charlotte. And it was my last class. And I remember I was trying to get this paper done. It was on the book of Psalms. And it was late. And I stayed up all night. It was 7 in the morning. And I got the paper finished. I think it had to be 12 pages long. And it was 11 pages long. And I was like, oh, it's 7 in the morning. I'm like, I am not going to. And I called a guy uh, who was in our young adult ministry named Zach. He worked at IBM and he was a computer whiz. And I said, Zach, how can I get this 11-page paper to be a... And he literally told me what to do. So click select all, add a little <coughs> spacing, add a little this, change the font. Boom, it was over 12 pages. <laughs> and we had had a... But this is what it's like. Could you imagine, though, this? <clears throat> and I remember the days, and some of you that are, that are my age remember the day, when, when, when computers started coming along and the typewriter was there, I literally remember in my church office, the lady there going... I like the typewriter. I don't like it. You turn the computer on, you got to wait for it to warm up. And you got to send it to this printer. Who sends it to a she was? She just didn't like it. Because it was awkward doing something new. But could you imagine if you invested money in a business and it was saying, oh, we're sticking with the typewriter. We're not going to get into the new. We want to stick... What would you do? You would go nuts, wouldn't you? If you put money in a business and they were not willing to shift, you'd go, what is wrong with you? And this is what's happening in this letter. These are people who have been saved by grace. But they are being pulled back into the old thing instead of going forward with grace into a world that in a spirituality that is that is better and cleaner and clearer and more enabling and more powering see the thing is the grace will do and intends to do for you everything the law intends to do just like the computer a laptop can do everything this typewriter can do only better and this is what Paul's teaching and what he's trying to teach them. And I find out over and over again in my life, in our lives, we need to be retaught this lesson. So what we're going to do for the next several weeks is go through this book and try to unpack what it means for you and I to live in the grace of Christ and to be victorious in that. Now, if you you'll open your Bible, look at me at Galatians. What I'm going to do, the, if you read this book, the first two chapters are basically Paul, um, he is just going to uh, share a little bit about his story. And I'm going to scan over it quickly for you today. And just do, I want to do some, just again, brief introductory thoughts. So we're going to, I'm not going to read the first two chapters, but I'm going to read the first bit of the first chapter, first 12 verses, then I'm going to sort of narrate the, the rest of it. But if you look at chapter 1, verse 1 of Galatians, here's what Paul says. Paul, an apostle... Not sent from men, nor by a man, but by Jesus Christ and God the Father who raised him from the dead. And all the brothers and sisters with me, grace and peace to you from God our Father, the Lord Jesus Christ, who gave himself for our sins to rescue us from the present evil age, according to the will of our God and Father, to whom be glory forever and ever. Amen. Verse 6, I am astonished 
that you are so quickly deserting the one who called you to the live in the grace of Christ and are turning again to a different gospel, which is no gospel at all. Evidently, some people are throwing you into confusion and are trying to pervert the gospel of Christ. But even if we or an angel from heaven should preach a gospel other than the one we preach to you, let them be under God's curse. As we have already said, now I say to you again, if anyone is preaching to you a gospel other than the one you accepted, let them be under God's curse. Am I now trying to win the approval of human beings or of God? Or am I trying to please people? If I were still trying to please people, I would not be a servant of Christ. I want you to know, brothers and sisters, that the gospel I preach is not of human origin. I did not receive it from a man, nor was I taught it. Rather, I received it by revelation from Jesus Christ. Let's just scan this passage a little bit real quickly. I mean, that number one thing is really, I think really cool is in verse 1. Uh, Jesus talks about, God, Paul talks about Jesus, and he said, he reiterates something about him. We need to remember, he was raised from the dead. He was raised from the dead. You know, if you, if you look at the history around Jesus' time, within about 100 years before him and after him, 50, 60 years before, 30, 40 years after, what you'll find if you study the history of Israel at that time, that there were eight different messianic movements. Eight of them. The other seven outside of his involved a leader getting up and believing he was the Messiah. He was the warrior who was going to lead Israel against the Roman Empire and liberate them from their pagan influence. And under his leadership, he was going to rally the people to fight and God was going to supernaturally be behind his efforts and they were going to run Rome out and they were going to establish the kingdom of God once again in Israel free from pagan influence. Seven of them believed that. All seven of those revolutions ended the same way. They got into a battle. They got into a war. The Romans came in, put down the, the rebellion, slaughtered people. They took the leader. They flogged them and they crucified them. Every single one of them. All seven of them. In every one of those movements, when that happened, when that leader died, Ended immediately. Ended immediately. Never to be remembered. Jesus did not start a political rebellion. He claimed to be the Messiah. He claimed to be the Messiah written about in the Old Testament. He started a movement. But it wasn't a rebellion. It wasn't a revolt. It was him teaching and reviving uh, the real truths of, of God that were in the Old Testament. He was flogged and he was crucified. But unlike those other movements, his didn't fade away instantly. In fact, after his death and his after his death, his movement began to spread and spread and spread and spread until literally 300 years later, it conquered the Roman Empire. And it's because he was raised from the dead. The resurrection of Christ. And he just says it up front. Jesus who was raised from the dead. What an awesome thing. Our Savior was raised from the dead. He conquered death. And he's conquering history. 
He talks about in verse 3, grace to you and peace from God. And look at described in verse 4. Jesus, who gave himself for our sins to rescue us from the present evil age. In verse 6, he talks about, I'm astonished that you're deserting him. And he says something that's really important for what we're going to look at during this series. He called you to do what? Live in the grace of God. Live in the grace of God. See, oftentimes we think, if we're thinking of Christianity as an alphabet, grace is the letter A. You know, A is the, it's the beginning. Grace is the beginning. Grace is where you start. You can't, you got to have grace first or you can't access the alphabet. But the truth is, is we're going to find out grace is not the first letter in the alphabet. It's not A. Grace is A. And grace is B. And grace is C. And grace is D. And it's E. And it's F. And it's, grace is A to Z in Christianity. And Paul tells these guys, God called you to live in the grace that's in Christ. And he goes on here. And it's really, this is kind of interesting to me. Uh, you know, you get to the next few verses, verse 8, verse 9. You know what Paul does here? He, he basically tells the guys who were propagating this stuff. You know what he tells them to do? He tells them to go to hell. Now, I don't think you should tell people to go to hell. I don't talk like that. I'm just quoting the Apostle Paul here. That's what he literally is saying. The only difference is when that's used in our world, usually we don't literally mean that. He literally means that. And he says it twice. I mean, he is mad about this. He's furious about this. Let him be a crown care if it's an angel. Go to, you know, just let him be cursed by God. That's a sweet way of... They write it real sweet. That's not how you really wrote it. Let them be Just, I don't care if it's an angel. I don't care who it is. I don't care who it is. He goes on here, and if you keep reading, he says something here in interesting verse 12. And this is kind of cool. He talks about how what he, what he received from God was a revelation of Jesus Christ. I'm going to show you something on the board here um, about this. Do you anybody know who Thomas Aquinas is? You ever heard of Thomas Aquinas? Anybody ever heard of Thomas Aquinas? Please tell me you have. My alma mater, I'd be proud if they taught you who Thomas Aquinas is at some point in time. He's a great Christian thinker in the 1400s. Anyways, Thomas Aquinas talked about knowledge. And I think this is really interesting. There's two kinds of knowledge. One is reasoning. And knowledge from reason is simply this. You look at things, you gather facts up, and you can, just, you can know certain things by your five physical senses. And you can make really good approximations of what truth is based on reason and the gathering of facts. And, and if you climb that ladder, it, this is the conclusion you can get to spiritually. There is a God. And I would just say that's, that's something anybody, if they're being honest with themselves and looks at the facts, uh, in that we know in science, that is the single most reasonable conclusion from the facts. I mean, we I want to reiterate this. We know from Big Bang, the universe began from something supernatural. That's not a belief. That's a fact. And whatever began it was quite brilliant and quite powerful. I would say even all powerful and all brilliant. We know that. And maybe we're just fooling ourselves, but if you really think DNA, which is like an alphabet, 
fell out of the sky and got arranged into books that are perfectly written, that are 800 pages long, and created a lot. Just good luck. Maybe you're right, but you're not reasonable. Stop telling yourself that. This is what Thomas Aquinas said. If you're being reasonable, you can, you can come to this conclusion. There is a God. But beyond that, there's a second kind of knowledge that has to happen. And this is called revelation. And what revelation is, as we'll see here, is the ladder not being put up, but it's the ladder coming down. The ladder coming down from heaven. And this is what Paul said, Jesus, it is God teaching us. It's God showing his son to you. It is God revealing his son to you. If you're a Christian and you have been, you've experienced being born again, you have know what it is to be converted and receive Jesus into your life, you know what this is. You know what it is to go, we talk about seeing the light. You, you really see it. You go, wow, how can, I, I remember growing up in church all my life and just going through the motions and then as a teenager in high school, understanding the great and just seeing it. And I was like, wow, that is incredible. And you see the grace and you see it. This is, this is God bringing it down to us. And, and this is what Paul teaches. And in, uh, when, when Zechariah the prophet held Jesus when he's a little baby, it's in Luke chapter 2, verse 32. One of the things he said to him when he held him is this young boy, this young child is going to be a light of revelation to the Gentiles. I'm a fulfillment of that. You're, a lot of you are fulfillments of that. We, he revealed God to us. He was a letter revelation. So we go on through that. And, and so Paul's doing this. And then if you re kept reading in chapter, rest of chapter 1, chapter 2, what happens? Paul talks about his experience as a minister, that when he got this, this incredible calling from God to go preach to the Gentiles and he was converted, the first thing he did is he went to Arabia and he studied the Bible and said, wow, this is what the Old Testament predicted would happen. And he got that down. He went and preached for three years. He went and met the guys in Jerusalem, Peter and James and some of the guys and told them what was going on. He didn't know anybody there, but they were like really excited. They'd heard about what was going on in his life. They were really excited about his ministry to the Gentiles. He kept doing it. And, and he was just basically telling them about his connection with the Jerusalem church. And he went on, and, and that's chapter 2. Now, let me, let me land this plane real quick for you. What does it mean to live in the grace of Christ? What does it mean in verse 4 when he says, Jesus Christ gave himself for our sins? That we might be set free, rescued from this present evil age. If the Bible has what I would call a narrative arc, if it has a thread that ties the whole thing together from Genesis through Revelation, if it has a one thread, I would say it's this. Two words. And they depict grace perfectly. Those two words are God saves. God saves. God brings salvation. Salvation is God's work alone. Only Him. When the story of man's fall happened in, in the book of Eden, you can read about it in, a, in the 
Garden of Eden. You can read about it in Genesis chapter 3. What happened? We know that they, the forbidden fruit was eaten. And one of the things that was a consequence of them, their sin, is they were discovered they were naked, which is symbolic of shame and the, the guilt that, that came from sin. And they were, of course, cast out of the garden. And to cover their shame, does anybody here remember what did Adam need do to cover their shame? Anybody want to tell me? Yeah, they put fig leaves up. They covered themselves with fig leaves. And as they left the garden, what God did was something really incredible. The Bible says as they left, and these pathetic fig leaf coverings are shamed, and they're in a whole different world. It's going to be totally different than what they experienced. The Bible says God made garments of skin to cover them. God made them. God's work. It wasn't them sewing together some leaves, but it was really God's work to cover them in garments. And God is the one who provided salvation. God's the one who provided covering. If you go on through the Bible, there's another very important story in the book of Genesis and the story of Abraham, where Abraham and God make a covenant. And Abraham's asking God, hey, how can I be sure? How can I be certain you're going to do this? And they do this thing called a suzerain vassal covenant. It's very common back in those days. They would cut open animals and they made this bloody path. What was supposed to happen is the both parties that are making this covenant would walk the blood in these paths. And they would basically say, hey, I am saying what happened to these animals should happen to me if I break this covenant. They're basically pronouncing a curse on themselves. When you walk through a bloody path like that and make a covenant, you are basically saying, I'm going to be cursed. I will absorb curses for breaking this covenant. And when Abraham's getting ready to do this, something funny happens. He falls asleep. And guess what happens? God walks between that bloody path himself. God basically says this, I will bear the consequences of humanity breaking the covenant with me. I'll bear the consequences of your covenant breaking. I'll bear the consequences of your sin. Me alone. He's asleep. That's grace. When Moses is delivering the people out of Egypt, it's a powerful thing. When the final thing is won, the Red Sea is parting and they're coming and this is the last moment Moses tells them to stand back and seek the salvation of God. You know what Israel contributed to their freedom from Egypt in the story of the Exodus? Did they wield a sword? Did they throw a rock? God did everything. God did everything. God provided salvation alone. As you go through the Old Testament, you can see in, in this powerful uh, passage in Isaiah where he's writing poetry uh, the prophet Isaiah in chapter 59 verse 16 God looks at humanity and he says there's nobody who can stand in the gap between me and man so I'm going to come do it myself my own arm is going to bring salvation to humanity I'm going to do it myself he says it again in Isaiah 63 5 nobody could stand in the gap nobody could could join heaven and earth. So he said, I'm going to come do it myself. And, and the picture we get in the Old Testament is a picture of a God who looks at a broken, sinful, 
deprived, depraved humanity and says, I'm going to put the burden of your sins. I'm going to put the burden of your rejection of me. I'm going to put it all on my back. And I'm going to, I'm going to take care of it. I'm going to fix it. And it's no coincidence, I don't think, that the name Jesus in Hebrew, Yeshua, literally means God saves. Because that's exactly who he is and exactly what he did. He was God bringing about this salvation he had promised in the Old Testament. And we see the consequences of it today. You and I are made clean in God's eyes. You and I are filled with the Holy Spirit. We see people that are that are Gentiles, we, we are the, that are now coming, we've come to God through Jesus. Everything promised about that salvation has happened. And that's what grace is. Listen, when, when I was a young man, I remember you know, just getting this down and it being the most empowering truth I could ever think of. And that's what it needs to be in your life and my life. The most empowering truth it could possibly be. You know, if you look at every other religion and you ask them, how are you saved? How do we experience salvation? Everybody knows we're broken. How do we do it? And ask the religions of the right and the left in our own country and their rantings. You know what they say over and over again? Two-letter word. Do. 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 Just do. Do. Do this. Do that. And then do that again. Just do. 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 Christianity, and this is the message of grace, has a different word. And that word is done. 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 Salvation has been provided. It's perfect. Salvation is provided. God did all the work. Salvation is provided. It is unconditional. Come to Him by faith and receive Him. And that is the core message, the sacred message of the Bible and of the Gospel. God is the one who brings salvation. The, the Reformers had a a word uh, that they used to, to one of their, their theological pillars was something called solo gratias. Solo gratias. You know what it meant? It meant grace alone. Grace alone. Salvation is provided by grace alone. And, and the key word in that, the key of those two is the word alone. Nothing else. Nothing else. Nothing else. The hymn that was so powerful back in the day, just as I am, without one plea, but that your blood was shed for me. To he whose blood can cleanse every spot. Every spot. And that's what it is to live in the grace of Christ. That's what it is to live in a new paradigm. What we're going to see is that our spiritual lives can literally, as we unpack grace and live in the provisions of it, literally it can be like the difference between this 
in this in your life. And that's what we're going to go forward with as we, we get into this series. Let's, let's pray together. Heavenly Father, we thank you so much for the, the brilliance that you, you know, just the way you wove the whole Bible together is incredible. And how throughout the stories and throughout its poetry and throughout the words of prophets, throughout the whole thing, you tell a story of a broken humanity in a God who's willing to put the burden and the shame and the sin and the failure of that race on his entire back and remove it. And we thank you that Jesus Christ did that. He gave himself for our sins to rescue us from this present evil age. Father, as we dive into this book, I pray you would teach us how to live in the grace of Christ. And not turn away from it and not compromise it. But learn what it's about. Get used to it. Get comfortable with it. And really unpack all the wonder and all the power of it for our individual lives. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Thanks for listening to this podcast from Classic City Church. We hope that together we can honor the greatness of Jesus by growing spiritually, living authentically, and participating in His purposes. For more information or more sermons from Classic City Church, please visit www.classiccity.org.